Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. With me today are two women who I just cannot wait to figure out more about what they do, and I know you will be intrigued too. Uh, Lisa Carter, she is co-director of the Mid-America ATTC. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. You'll, you'll know by the end of the episode. And Sherry Watkins, and she is the technology transfer specialist um, as part of the Opioid Response Network. Did I get that right? You did. All right. So I'm going to dive in and ask, what is the Mid-America ATTC? Great question, Nicole. So Mid-America ATTC stands for Mid-America Addiction Technology Transfer Center. So what we do, support clinicians, multidisciplinary practitioners, providers, associations, organizations in implementing evidence-based practices for substance use disorder, prevention, treatment, and recovery. So some people might be listening going, what? I had no idea. Have you all been in existence for a long time? Are you just like a best kept secret? I mean, this is pretty cool. So we're both actually, and it's funny you use that choice of words because when I found out about Mid-America ATTC about 20 years ago, I said the same thing as a program director myself. This is the best kept secret. So the Mid-America ATTC is one of many ATTCs across the nation. We serve Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, and Nebraska. We are funded by SAMHSA and have been since 1993. We are funded in five-year cycles. So we're just finishing up this cycle and we will be reapplying probably early next year for the next grant cycle. So um, again, I think we're a best kept secret because we can help um, professionals, organizations, state entities, anyone really that is needing assistance, finding and identifying evidence-based practices regarding substance use disorder treatments. Uh So where does, how does the Opioid Response Network come in? Is that like one initiative as part of the ATTC or are they different? That's a great question. We are distinct and different from the Addiction Technology Transfer Center Networks. Although all technology transfer specialists who work with the Opioid Response Network are embedded in their regional addiction technology transfer center. Uh, okay. So whereas the ATTC spends a lot of time getting their kind of finger on the pulse about what the needs of the substance use disorder prevention and treatment community really are, um, and thinking proactively about the kinds of tools, resources, and trainings that would benefit them, the Opioid Response Network is obviously focused on opioids, not other substances. Well, opioids and stimulants since okay. um, our last grant round, we, we respond to requests for both opioids and stimulants, um, but we respond to requests. So these are individuals, organizations, states, counties, um, communities, uh, prevention coalitions who reach out to us with specific needs they have around implementing evidence-based approaches to um, opioid and stimulant use. And we do focus 
on prevention, treatment, and recovery. So our service is available to anyone um, free of charge, the same way that the Addiction Technology Transfer Center services are available free of charge. Um, but, you know, our roles are a little bit different. Again, Opioid Response Network focused on opioids and stimulants. Addiction Technology Transfer Centers focused on all substances. Um, ATTC more proactive and putting things out that, that, you know, that folks in preventive treatment and recovery need um, to do their jobs effectively and impact the lives of people where the Opioid Response Network responds to specific individually tailored requests. Yeah, so, and I think that that's a, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I think that's a good distinction to make because whereas um, the ORN is kind of that on-demand specific, although ATTC can do that, we also throughout the year produce products and we may produce those products just um, out of our own ATTC, a podcast, a webinar, a toolkit, or we might do it in conjunction with other ATTCs in the nation or just other organizations in general. And then being federally funded, those are put on our website and free for public domain. Because the ATTC is really like a clearinghouse of vetted, evidence-based, or promising uh, strategies all across the continuum. And specifically, you know, some of those are then recommended or implemented by the Opioid Response Network. Am I kind of getting that right? So um, since NREP went away, uh, which was the National Registry of Evidence-Based and Promising Practices, you know, here, many states actually chose to implement their own sort of state registries for these programs. Is that something that the ATTC would do or house? Or is it really to say, oh, you're looking for a cannabis program. Let's direct you to a cannabis program. And, oh, do you want prevention or do you want early intervention or what do you want? And then you would sort of direct them there. Is that kind of how that works, Lisa? Yeah. So I'm familiar with NREP from back when I was directing yeah, programs. I just dated myself there, but yeah. 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 And I and we always went to NREP. It was our first thing. And, and so I see Mid-America as being like that. So we still have the knowledge to identify the same types of programs and information that was available through NREP. I can do that through my connections through SAMHSA. Um, National Institute on Health, National Institute on Drug Abuse, et cetera. So yes, someone can come to us and we would help them locate those. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Do both of you have backgrounds in this in this field or has this always been a passion of yours, like substance use disorder? Or did you sort of, you know how it is, just like fall into a job and then you're like, oh, this is this is interesting. I mean, that's kind of it for me, to be honest. I didn't know how many cross paths I had with substance use disorder until I was like 10 years into the field. And I was like, oh, maybe there's a reason I'm doing this. Is Was it like that for you? Or did you both already know like this was sort of the area that you wanted to be in? You go first, Sherry. Sure. So um, for me, I spent about 25 years in community behavioral health, serving adults with severe mental illness who are also struggling with co-occurring substance use disorders and experiencing chronic or um, intermittent homelessness. So my passion for most of my social work career, I am a licensed master's level social worker, uh, was serving that population. But like so many um, in the before times, before the pandemic, 
Um, I found myself um, suffering from compassion fatigue and burnout. Um, up until I'd say the last few years, we weren't paying as close of attention as we needed to, to the behavioral health workforce and our own behavioral health. Um, so I wasn't doing what I needed to do, nor really getting the support to do what I needed to do to care for myself. So I found myself at 50 years old at kind of a crossroads in my career, thinking I had built my whole career to go this one direction, which would be to be the executive director of my community mental health center. And then when that opportunity was before me, I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, so I took a little bit of time away from the field and really set about thinking, what did I really want to do? And what I wanted to do was leverage all my years of experience for the benefit of other people. So during my time in community mental health, I implemented five different evidence-based practices for adults with major mental illness. And because the opioid response network is all about implementing evidence-based practices, and I had served folks struggling with co-occurring substance use disorders, just made a perfect fit. Plus, being a social worker, um, receiving a request from someone, you really use your social work skills to respond because you're listening intently, you're collaborating, you're trying to think about what's the, the greatest good that could could come out of this request, how to approach it in a way that, you know, lowers power differential and, and highlights, um, you know, issues of um, racial disparities, equity, um, you know, and the social determinants of health, they're all weighing on um, our marginalized uh, communities. Um, all of that uh, experience that I had, I got to be able to bring to the Opioid Response Network. Um, and it just so happened at the time I was looking and kind of knew the type of role I wanted, uh, three different people reached out to me about this job. First, uh, two former colleagues and then a recruiter. And they were all talking about the same role. And they were all saying, this role was made for you, Sherry. Um, and so I went through the inter interview process and they were right. Well, congrats, <laughs> it's a perfect match. Congratulations. Lisa, how about you? Have you been in this? Like, did you know you wanted to be in this field? No, I always say it happened to me, but I also think that it's a, a universe thing that it did because it's been for the for the good of, of my of my life. So Sherry and I have had kind of parallel uh, similar career paths. We've we talked about that really early on when we first met. Um, my first um, job after getting my master's degree, so I got a master's degree in mental health counseling, and so I got a license in mental health counseling and then went on to get a clinical addiction counseling license and to direct all modal, all programs in the spectrum um, on the continuum of care, so outpatient, men's and women's residential, detox, methadone clinics. And I, too, after doing it for about 25 years, really was just ready to throw in the towel and do something different, but at the same time thinking, what a shame yeah. to, to not use my 25 years. Um, the parts of the job though, that I loved in that time, aside from, from working with the clients was the, I got out and I got to do training and consultation and guide other people coming into the field to resources because somebody did it for me and I appreciated it. So when the opportunity came along to come to mid America, I'm like, Holy cow, this is the perfect fit. I'm using my knowledge I'm not doing the wear and tear of running programs and being available and on guard 24 seven. I can just use my skills in a different way. And mm -hmm. it was a perfect match. And at the time, longtime co-director Pat Stylin was getting ready to retire and the mid America really needed someone like her, um, which 
she, like me, had a background in program management, kind of that boots on the ground, so to speak, direct service experience. So I was kind of a natural choice for that. I don't direct Mid-America alone. I do have a co-director, but as far as daily operations and whatnot, I do the bulk of that. So you mentioned, Lisa, early on that there's, are there five states? Did I, the Mid-America, is that the region? Is it five states oh, or? There are four. So four. when SAMHSA created the technology transfer centers, they divided us up into the same region as health and human services. Oh, okay. Uh, so we are region seven, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, and Nebraska. And so Sherry, is that, so that's the same for you? Exactly. Although okay. there are teams of technology transfer specialists responding to requests from all over the, all over the nation, all the um, states, plus our territories and protectorates, um, we are separated now by Health and Human Services region. So when someone submits a request to the Opioid Response Network um, through the magic of the internet, if that person is um, working in Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, or Nebraska, that request comes to me. If they're working in another state, it goes to another technology transfer specialist team. Okay, so you keep talking about these requests, Sherry. Can I have an example or two of a request that has been submitted that you were able, you or a peer were able to uh, provide or or fulfill? Like, what what types of requests are you seeing? And and maybe a better question is, what types of requests do you want? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. So. Um... We take any requests from anybody, uh, starting from individuals who, um, like I've received requests from people, I'm struggling with an opioid use disorder and I don't know what to do. Um, That's not really the purpose of the Opioid Response Network, but we respond to that request and I connect those individuals to treatment resources, information about health insurance, you know, whatever they're needing. Um, But we receive other requests from organizations, sometimes from individuals who maybe have an idea. They they want to address the opioid epidemic in their community, but they're not sure where to start. So they meet with me and maybe they want to do some prevention work. So a prevention related request could be maybe they want to start a local um, CADCA, you know, communities, you know, working to address prevention of opioid and other substance use disorders, and they don't know where to start. Um, So that's a great request. Some of the other kind of prevention-related requests we've received have been from existing prevention coalitions who need support with um, needs assessment in their community, um, need assistance with strategic planning, not really knowing, like, how do we set about deciding from our needs assessment what we actually do, and then how do they sustain those efforts? So the great news is, is that it's not me responding to all the requests, although I am the face of the Opioid Response Network and I do respond. We have a directory of just under a thousand subject matter experts um, from across the nation who are um, both local, regional and national in their scope. And I draw upon the expertise of my amazing consultant directory and I bring them in to the request. And not only do we have individuals We have over 45 national partner organizations like CADCA um, who I can reach out to for help with their request. And through the Opioid Response Network process, you can connect requesters to CADCA and all their resources. And more than one time, CADCA has uh, come in and supported an Opioid Response Network request to a prevention coalition, as an example, all at no cost. So that prevention coalition doesn't have to figure out how am I going to hire someone to help me figure out how to do this? Well, we'll help you figure out how to do it. And it's all free. So um, really, any request related to opioids or stimulants, 
related to prevention, treatment, or recovery. As long as the requester is interested in evidence-based approaches, that's a great request in my book. So you've mentioned a couple of times, Sherry, opioids and stimulants. Uh, pretend like I don't know anything. Why is now the funding including both? So the data that the Opioid Response Network collected around the requests that we received and the feedback we were getting from our requesters was in many communities, not all, um, was that the opioid epidemic isn't as pervasive in our community. Like people aren't dying um, from opioid overdose. Our challenge is how to help folks struggling with stimulants, which include um, methamphetamine, um, prescription stimulants uh, like Adderall or other um, methyl, methylphenidate <laughs> formulated medications, um, and cocaine in all of its forms. So in a lot of communities, the, the face of the epidemic isn't necessarily opioids. It's stimulants that are really harming people the most. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. truth is, is that there's not a lot of evidence-based approaches to stimulant use disorder the same way there are with opioid use disorder. That is correct. You know what I think we need? I think we need an alcohol response network. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I tell folks alcohol is still king. It's still it's alcohol That's and tobacco mm -hmm. still kill more people than opioids do or probably will. Um, but it, it can't be overlooked that right. literally hundreds of thousands of people are dying um, from opioid overdose, particularly Absolutely. the presence of fentanyl in the illicit yes. drug supply and people not even realizing what they're taking is going to end in respiratory depression and death. Um, so, yeah. Lisa, I would imagine that that's where you could come in because while Sherry is more um, focused on opioids and stimulants, if somebody had a question about a best practice or evidence-based strategy around alcohol or cannabis or even nicotine, is that something that they could come to you on and you could guide them in a, in a direction? Absolutely. Um, I can give you an example of that that just Please. happened within the past month. So um, here in Kansas, there was a large, um, large county in Kansas that through their mental health center they had a school prevention roundtable group, and they were wanting to look at ways as a roundtable that they could address um, tobacco, nicotine use in youth, in the schools, you know, vaping, using marijuana, um, drinking, etc. So that was an instance where they contacted me. Again, I pulled together some data because we, we have the ability to find credible sources of data and sift through all of that. Just present them with some basic data, give them some basic definitions about um, what is risky use, what is abuse, some of those terms that you always hear swirling around in different, uh, you know, arenas, basic education, and then provide them with some resources for prevention and how they could move forward and hooking them up with some specific professionals and consultants that will help them with that. So really all of that work that that committee could have spent months doing and trying to gather. I was able, I would say when it was all said and done, I spent probably 15 hours pulling all of that together for them. And now they have information that they can go forward with and they can always come back to me if they need to. That's incredible. So what if I'm a, um, a resource listening to this saying, well, I wonder if I'm on Lisa's radar. Like, I wonder if she knows what I'm doing. Am I on the list? Like how, I mean, is that something where people could connect with you and say, hey, 
we're over here. I mean, I, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but I don't like to assume. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we have on our website, which is <clears throat> attc.org, we'll get the general website for all of the centers and then you can search by region and then our contact information is on there. Also on our website, people can sign up for our newsletter or just reach out to me individually through an email and say, hey, I'd like you to um, hear what we're doing and we might even need some help and could you help us with something? So, yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Ladies, what does five years look like for you? Like, does this look like you're out of a job because we've solved all the problems. I always like to say I uh, want to would... retire early, but I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, that, that would be a dream um, to, uh, to end the, for me to end the opioid epidemic and the stimulant use crisis and to work myself out of a job. Um, but, you know, what we're seeing from um, overdose deaths being on the rise, uh, youth substance use being on the rise, you know, you, you can't take out the factor that is the you know, COVID pandemic. The COVID factor, the C <laughs> you factor. Can't, you can't remove yeah. that. Yeah. And that has set um, a lot of our efforts behind more than two years. Um, Absolutely. And, we were doing counting. so well, we at least in the St. Louis region, you know, we yeah. that I can speak to. We were doing so well with overdose deaths. I mean, far too many people were still dying, but we were really mm-hmm. making some headway in, in most groups. And then COVID happened and it's like, well, Okay, two steps forward, put, five steps back. Yes, and COVID has put things in motion for which we won't see for another few years. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. So, so while, as much as I'd like to say in five years, I won't be working at the Opioid Response Network anymore. Um, I have SAMHSA funds the ORN every two years, and it's a competitive application cycle, which I um, is you know harrowing for us, but um, it's rigorous, and it, that needs to be the way that it is. Um, but I have a feeling in the next two years and the two years after that and the two years after that, our services are still going to be needed. I do too, unfortunately. But I am so grateful for the work that you all are doing. Um, And, uh, you know, when you came to us and uh, Jenny and Kristen kind of left there going, oh my gosh, like this is great. Uh, It's really opened up our eyes. Um, And so we just, we appreciate you being on today and appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, Sherry, do you have a website or is it that same? It's not the same. Do you have a specific website? I do. It's opioidresponsenetwork.org. And when you go to that landing page, you can view a lot of resources that we have curated on that website. But the thing you're going to be looking for is the blue button in the upper right-hand corner that says submit a request. You click on that button. It's a very simple Google form. We have folks fill out through the magic of the internet. It comes to my inbox and I respond within one business day. Uh, guaranteed within 24 hours or business day um, to that request to set up a meeting to talk about that individual requester's needs. All right. Within one business day. That is amazing. We are the response network. Woo! Submit those requests. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Sherry, for being on today. Really appreciate you both. If you liked what you heard, if you want more information about the ATTC, Mid-America ATTC, or the Opioid Response Network, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to The Preventable. Thanks, ladies. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. 
Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by PreventEd. PreventEd works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.